Hey there, listeners, and welcome back to the SLS Podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'm assuming all of you are in the throes of your first semester workload, and at least for me, it's pretty stressful. I mean, we have so much to study for, so much homework, and there's always extracurriculars and even tests like the SAT and ACT. And for all those seniors out there, college applications are always hovering above. It's incredibly difficult to keep track of all of it. To find out more about staying organized, I talked to aspiring computational neuroscientist and high school student Nandini. She gave me some absolutely amazing tips on keeping up a schedule, making time for breaks, and even how to be a good leader. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy the interview. start off by um, asking you, you know, tell me a bit about yourself. So what activities and extracurriculars do you do inside and outside of school? Sure. So I'm really passionate about computational neuroscience and essentially where neurology intersects with AI technology in the modern world. So I like to get involved with a lot of science and competitive extracurriculars and also focusing on service too because that's equally as important. So yeah, I would say I'm pretty involved with competitive clubs like Science Olympiad, Science School, USA Biology Olympiad. And then in terms of service, I'm actively involved in the past service organizations which actually led this year where we went to elementary schools and presented science lesson plans to them. And I did an internship with Porch Lolly this year where I had the chance to organize a town-wide event that supported food insecurity. Those are all really amazing and that's a lot of competitive clubs which kind of goes right into my next question. How do you make sure to organize your time between academics and extracurriculars? For sure. So I would definitely say my biggest tools are planners, to-do lists, all that organizational stuff. Like, I could not live without my planner. It's definitely a great way to just, like, block out time for either studying for a test or completing some tasks or an extracurricular. And my biggest tip in terms of, like, actually allowing a planner or to-do list to be effective is to be realistic with yourself. That's something that I definitely learned a lot this year, but the more realistic you are with how much you can get done and how much it's, like, going to take, like, in terms of time, the more that you actually begin to follow your planner. Yeah, totally, totally. So I think one thing that's really hard for a lot of students, and especially I think just students who we uh, reach out to as students, I think students, um, is sort of making that first step towards starting to plan. So for me, I think it was really difficult because I remember in middle school, I had this thing where I was like, I'm never going to get a planner. I'm not going to write things down on an agenda. I'm going to retain all of it up here. And I think it took me like the entire seventh grade year to kind of to get used to it, to sort of get into the habit of having a planner. So I kind of want to start um, really small. I want to start with just like a daily schedule. Um, can you describe, I guess, how you make your daily schedule, how you decide what you want to spend your time on? For sure. So I would usually try to get this done the night before. And I would use this technique, which I call the triage technique, where you would assign 
things which absolutely have to get done tomorrow read. And this could either be like it has to get done first thing in the morning, like sending out emails or studying for a huge test. And then yellow would be the things which you really should get done relating to maybe extracurriculars or a homework assignment that you do two days away. And green can be stuff which is not directly due tomorrow, but it would be good to get started on. And that's just generally the baseline which I use when I create my schedule. I try to put in the red items first. So one of the biggest things which I did a lot my sophomore year was sending out emails just for networking, um, connections, guest speakers, vendors, that sort of stuff. So that would always go on my schedule every morning, a list of who to send out emails to. And then I would go in and fill in like timed extracurriculars, which meet at a specific time. And after that, I would just go down my triage list and fill in mostly red and yellow stuff wherever I could. And one thing which I also wanted to emphasize is that it's really important to leave time in your schedule for breaks. Um, just, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I'm going to go watch this exact movie on Netflix. Just like a time to cool down. Because typically when you schedule like five things to do right after you get home from school, you're likely not going to do them all. So it's important to just like switch on and switch off at different times. No, that's, yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, because like incorporating, so can you tell me a little bit more about just like incorporating breaks into your schedule? Because it's hard to find that just right amount of time where you're not necessarily, you know, wasting too much time or you're not cutting into your work. So how did you find a good break schedule that worked out for you? I actually got lucky. One of the planners which I use has one-hour breaks allotted on there. So um, what I would either do is just assign a one-hour break or assign a red activity, so just sending emails, which would not take up the entire hour. So this would not only give me time to take a break after sending out those emails, but it would also motivate me to try and get those emails done faster than they usually take so I would have more break time. That kind of like two-pronged approach is how I try to schedule breaks in my schedule. That's absolutely perfect. And do you know what, uh, just for the sake of listeners, do you know what brand of planner that you use in case they're interested in the sure. one? Yeah, I think I have mine right here, actually. It is popular. Okay. It's super helpful. Yeah, it just allows you to like pin out by hour and make a list of the goals you want to get done each week, each month, very helpful for sure. Yeah, I think I used a Pop Sugar um, agenda like just this past year, and it was absolutely amazing. It was so nice, yeah. and also I gotta say it's aesthetically pleasing. I just the I colors. Should be. You should want to use your planner. I know. Yeah, if it's like one of those boring, you know, simple simple books with like 2023 to 2024, it, it doesn't attract me. I'm sorry. <laughs> So that's just my opinions towards, um, towards planners. So uh, I can see that you're really interested in computational neuroscience, was it? Neurobiology? Yeah, so I guess, how did you kind of discover your interest in that? And once you did, how did you move it forward? How did you decide what you wanted to spend your time on in that field? Sure. So I had a really amazing biology teacher in ninth grade, and for one of our projects, we were creating life-like versions of various cells. 
so at that point in time, I chose the neuron because I was interested by the fact that it had a lot of unique organelles which other cells didn't. And she really was the one who pushed me to join the neuroscience club, find nonprofit research opportunities. So that was definitely a super interesting experience to explore. Can I say that one again? <laughs> Of course you can. Yeah. yeah. So really, my interest in neuroscience began in ninth grade with a really amazing biology teacher. And we were assigned a cell project where we had the opportunity to bring a cell to life. I was personally drawn to the neuron because of its like very specialized organelles and the fact that things such as a dendrite or an axon, you couldn't find that in like a red blood cell, for example. And she really was the one who encouraged me to seek out different opportunities like the neuroscience club, service, research, etc. And just push me on that path of exploring neuroscience. That is really amazing. And I guess once you sort of discovered that interest, how did you find out which clubs um, put it into action? Sure, so our school actually had a neuroscience club, which is my first um, attempt at exploring neuroscience. And then I would definitely say that having a large network is really key for finding those specialized opportunities that you want. Like, um, I'm a pretty active member on Instagram because um, at the club which I lead just put out a lot of information on there. So I heard about the guidance in neuroscience nonprofit organization um, activities in there, and that's something which I also pursued. So definitely um, being connected with people in your school environment, whether it be peers, teachers, etc., really helps you to find those specific opportunities that you want. That is really cool, and I guess um, for students. How can we build those connections? How can we form those connections with other people? What's your number one tip? Mm -hmm. So I would say that there's two really important factors. If you're looking at peers, the main thing what you want to focus on is just being a social and outgoing person. Like, if you see someone who you really enjoy... So my biggest tip would be just approaching networking differently when it comes to peers and when it comes to adults. So with adults, it's really helpful to have a LinkedIn, a resume, and especially with teachers, if you're interested by something which they taught and you want to ask them more questions, shoot them an email or stay for office hours and talk to them about what they do and if they know of any opportunities. With um, adults and people experienced in the field, just really showing your enthusiasm and interest is what allows you to make connections. And with peers, it's pretty much the same. You just want to find people with similar interests and even people with different interests who can expose you to like different opportunities that you may have not thought of before. And it's all about being social, going up to people. Like, for example, if you liked one person's presentation in your biology class, go up to them after class and ask them, it's super cool that you're interested in this field. Um, how do you carry this interest forward? So definitely just reaching out to people is the key thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I think just the networking process, you know, there's no specific laid out steps for it. And I feel like the problem with that is that at a certain point in high school, we're sort of expected to know how to network. It's like, oh yeah, 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 you need contacts for this, you need contacts for that, but how? 
So thank you so much for laying it out, you know, just in clear steps because that not only helped our listeners, that helped me. That helped me. Um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and I guess mental health is kind of this motif that we have um, throughout everything at Students Looking Students. So, um, and I mean, you do so much and I really admire that. And it's amazing how you split your time and make sure that you get decent breaks while also, you know, concentrating on your work. So I guess how can students find a working pattern and join clubs and activities that work for them without necessarily harming their mental health or stressing themselves out? That's a really great question. And I actually do want to talk about two various approaches. Firstly, passion is really the main thing, which I guess prevents you from allowing your mental health to be like as effective when you get involved in a lot of things. And I don't just mean passion for what you do, but also having separate passions outside of school. So for example, as someone who's really interested in health and neuroscience, I enjoy competing in science Olympiad or doing neuroscience service work. And that passion is really what prevents it from becoming like a chore for me. But I also have other passions like I'm really interested in visual art, but something which I would never do is take a class on it or try to get a grade on it because it's something that I'm passionate about outside of any competitive environment. So being able to, again, just switch on and off from doing those tasks of the extracurriculars and doing your passion outside of school, just finding that balance is really what would help your mental health in the long run. And also, I would definitely say that in terms of just balancing out your schedule and maintaining good mental health, it's really important to go out of your way to be social. And I know this isn't like you wouldn't naturally think of this, but don't try to sit down and do less of your math homework during lunch. Definitely um, talking to people, it could be about literally anything, just getting out of your shell and like switching it up, having a conversation, that's really important. The biggest like piece of advice I would have is to not be on all the time and do like one thing for the next, like switch off. Yeah, no, definitely. The transition is crucial. Um for sure. Yeah, because the thing is that I actually I did homework during um during lunch once. Well, I've done it many times, but I did during lunch one day when I could really have used like a social interaction. My friends were like, Priyanka, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing homework, okay, leave. So I did, and I walked into the next class, and oh my gosh, I was so grumpy. I was just like, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not ready for this. The school day should be over. I can't do it. So I'm just having like this influx of negative thoughts, and you know. I gave this presentation exactly. with no panache at all, and it was it was horrible. So yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. For sure, yeah. And something else which I also wanted to bring up a little was to think about impact in terms of the activities that you do. And this is something that I really learned from experience in my underclassmen years. But in the end, when you're looking at, let's say, a common app or a resume, you can only put down 10 activities on your common app and maybe six or seven on your resume. So is it really worth it, like signing up for 10 or 12 in one year 
when you know that they're not all going to actually have a significant impact. Like one of the best pieces pieces of advice which I've received is to never do a program or activity where you're filling the job description. So, for example, if you're volunteering at some outside location, but you're doing exactly what the program expects you to do, um, like of course, if you're looking at this from a resume perspective only, which you shouldn't, but if you are, then that's really not going to benefit you in any way because you're doing what's expected of you. And when you look at people who go on to do great things, they always think outside of the box and they bring new, like, visions and efforts into whatever they do. So it's definitely important to cut down and do impactful things which actually may change a program or change either your community or scientific research, etc. And don't just like go along with the status quo of an existing program. I can probably identify like four things I did last year which will have really no impact on anything in the future. So it's definitely important to like sit yourself down at the end of the summer and really think is this something that I can take forward or will this just be a status quo which I have to meet over and over and over again? No, thank you so much for saying that because I feel like um, a lot of people nowadays in high school, I noticed this also at SLS, is just, you know, this idea that everything you do has to count towards a resume. There's like some sort of secret formula and you have to follow it in order to have the most successful future. But I feel like when I look at different examples of people from my school who got into wonderful universities and didn't follow like a set formula, that's not true. I think I walked yeah. into freshman year and I was like, okay, I need one competitive club, I need one this club, I need the one this club, I need to go out For and sure. do this, I need to go out and do that. But then like halfway through freshman year, I was like, is any of this even going to add up? So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for putting it in words that I couldn't. Yeah, that's still something which I'm, like, working on learning. I definitely did load up on extracurriculars a lot, and I'm trying to just, like, switch my focus and figure out the impact and the benefit. And, of course, I do agree with what you said. You should not do everything for a resume. It's really not going to benefit you or anyone else. So be passionate about what you do. Mm-hmm. And just really put your whole self into whatever you do sign up for. And I feel like when you do something for a resume, I mean, it's it shows up. Um, it's it's yeah. pretty clear that you know you're not here because you're passionate about this or because you enjoy it, but so that you can put it down on a piece of paper. Um, you definitely so. can't tell in the end. Like if you go back and you like compare something which you were really excited to do versus something you do because let's say your friend was involved in a service organization. So let's say your friend was involved in a service organization and that's why you decided to join it as well. Like you can tell where your passion really extends to because you'll see how that activity will have an impact not only on other people but also yourself. But if you do something which just meets criteria, you're not really going to be looking for ways to grow. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, it's definitely so odd because at the end of the year, um, in freshman year, I kind of looked back and I thought to myself, you know, like you said, like, what am I excited to continue next year? And there were like, you know, just five activities there. I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to do these. And then the other few I'd done, I was like, uh, I guess I have to. But then I was like, wait, I don't have to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, 
it, that's just the kind of the kind of psyche. So I'm gonna shift the lens a little bit, and I understand that you have you lead multiple clubs and you have a lot of leadership experience. So I guess to you, what does it mean to be a good leader? That's a great question. So I really have um, like three pillars, which I like to call the three P's, and they are preparedness, putting yourself in other people's shoes, and persevering. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of those. So in terms of preparedness, um, being in a position where you lead a club, you really have to plan ahead and also expect the unexpected at the same time. So one of the things which I did for a couple of the clubs which I led this year was I sat down in August and I made a list of every meeting which we were going to have, um, the date, what we were going to do at the meeting, and what I needed to do to prepare. And I just had this like four-page master document and it was so incredibly useful because that way I didn't have to spend like four hours per week figuring out what I wanted to do at the next meeting. I just had to like make the presentation or make templates for people to use. So really being prepared helps. And also the second part of that is just expect the unexpected. Like, you know that sometimes, um, let's say someone may not show up at a presentation or they forgot extra materials. It's great to just anticipate how like large scale things you do in clubs, such as presentations or competitions may go wrong and just have a backup plan because it will definitely come into use things change just on the fly so it's important to figure out what you're going to do like let's say if um one group member isn't able to make it to a presentation or they run out of materials in the middle of the presentation have some extras or talk to the school beforehand to have some extra set up for you that is definitely the number one thing which characterizes leadership and the second one which i wanted to talk about was putting yourself in other people's shoes so I wanted to emphasize a lot um, in some of the clubs I ran was that this is a club led by a high schooler for high schoolers. Even though we are meeting this quota of things to do and opportunities to explore, I understand that you're overwhelmed because I'm overwhelmed too with all the classwork, all the things we do outside of school, sports, extracurriculars. So it's really important to just like hit that home that when you're a leader, show the people you're leading that you understand them and you know what they're going through and also accommodate based on that. Like I really shifted the focus away from one of the clubs I ran, the Genetics and Heredity Association, from outside of school research projects to doing more things during connectivity that were still engaging. Like for example, at the beginning of the year, we had a literature review presentation where we met with researchers, except the majority of work for that research project was done outside of school. And that sort of worked at the beginning of the year, but later when we had an internship with like a genetics nonprofit, I kept that entirely during connectivity. Because you know that AP exams, finals, all that stuff is going on. You really just want to understand what your members are going through, and that just gives you the tools to lead better. And the last thing I'm going to hit really heavy on this perseverance. It is incredibly hard to put yourself in a position where you lead over other people and are held accountable, and nothing is going to go as you expect it to. Again, like the key message from this. But you really just have to keep hitting 
like your goals, keep working towards them, because that's the only way that they will turn out as you want them to. Like, I know I really struggle to find an advisor for clubs like Science Olympiad, and you probably spent like a good month talking to every teacher in the school, and just you have to like come back, don't get discouraged, and especially with emailing people to be guest speakers or emailing people who work in labs, like. I probably sent out like a good 50 emails and like two people respond. So you just really have to keep working towards it. Don't get discouraged. Have your goal in mind and make like an actionable plan which will help you achieve that goal. And those are the three things which really define leadership for me. Wow, all of those are really inspiring. Um. I think I especially really liked、um, that you have to put yourself in other shoes because I think、mm-hmm. when you're becoming a leader, everyone is kind of like, okay, well, now I'm, you know, I have to lead others. I'm sort of up there. I have a better grasp. But sometimes that's not necessarily true. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can learn from your peers, and your peers and their feedback actually make you a better leader.、Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite sayings is, Lead with compassion, not authority. Because you may necessarily have not been put in that leadership position because of being better than everyone else or like being selected. But like being in that position of power allows you to consider other people's factors and sort of mesh together your own experience with their experiences too. So it's really important to just get to know the people you're leading. And that is. In a high school setting, because maybe your friends join your club, and like you might hear them ranting to you about like an essay that they do in a history class. So you just know that okay, maybe I shouldn't give everyone four hours of club work this week because I know that will discourage them and not excite them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also you know this idea that use your power for good. You know, when you step up、yeah. into a leadership position, change it. If you have something that you think would make the club more inclusive, that you think would make it a better setting, do it. And I can tell, you know,、um, that you have done an extraordinary thing with all of your clubs and that you've definitely made them,、um, you know, just so better and more inclusive. And I think that's really inspiring. So that is、um, about all the questions that I have for you today. Thank you so much. You gave really wonderful answers.、Um, Do you have anything you'd like to end on? I just really want to say thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and allowing me to share some tips with everyone. In an age where we're all really competitive and just trying to get into college, rely on your network, rely on your peers, and don't be afraid to share tips and tricks that you have with other people because that is how we just move forward as a graduating class, as high school peers, etc. So there you have it. It is impossible for me to summarize everything that Nandini said because she said some really amazing advice. But all I can tell you is stay on top of things and make sure to be organized. Thank you so much for tuning into the SLS podcast. See you next time.